I just want to wake up to that every day. Like, my alarm clock feels so, uh, so easygoing in fall. Uh, what else uh, that I'm loving right now that feels very fall is this gratitude journal. If you didn't pick one up last week, we still have some available out in our lobby. I've been working on it through the, uh, through the last week. And uh, we just want to help you cultivate an attitude of, of gratitude. It's really a, a life-giving discipline, and it takes a little bit of work, but man, the, the, what you get out of it is uh, so incredible, so make sure you pick up one of those. Uh, good morning again. My name is Dion, and um, you may be wondering back here what's going on with this, uh, what this is. This is exactly what I look like when I lose something. Now, I, I don't lose things very often. I'm pretty methodical about where everything goes. Everything has a home. I've told you about that before. But uh, when, when something gets lost, it, it drives me crazy. I start losing my mind. I just can't handle it. It's all I can think about. Um, in fact, downstairs in our basement, we have an Apple TV device. And uh, we've had it for a lot of years. I remember when we first got it, it came with this really neat remote. Um, anyone have an Apple TV like tiny little remote just fits in your hand and it's so apple you know it's like ours is silver it's got these three little buttons and I just was like man that's so cool I love apple products what a, what a neat remote and then I remember that I have kids we've not seen this remote in over a year um, it keeps getting lost and I found it once and then it just gets lost again and like I said it's been over a year and so now every time I go to the basement to watch something on TV even when I'm not using the Apple TV when I'm just watching network TV um, I, I remember that it's lost and it starts to make me crazy and I dig around in the couch for about 15-20 minutes and I'm all sweaty and mad my heart's pounding and I'm frustrated about where the thing is because I know it's down there somewhere I hate losing things and so the, uh, the very title of today's message drives me a little crazy, Gaining by Losing. I hate losing things. I don't care what I gain. And of course, losing things or losing in general goes way beyond possessions, doesn't it? I mean, who likes losing in life? Whether we're talking about losing a game, congratulations, Eureka Wildcats, you uh, girls volleyball won the state tournament yesterday. Um, go Wildcats. Um, sadly, they were playing against another one of our hometown schools, the Lafayette Lancers, who lost. Um, and that was extra painful for me because my good friend Chris Toomey is a volunteer assistant coach for Lafayette this year. So I kind of, even though my kids don't go to Lafayette, I, I felt the pain of that. Losing's not fun. It, it hurts, whether it's a big game, uh, whether it's a job. Some of you have been through that and you've experienced the, the, not only the fear of provision, but you've experienced just the, the ego blow that can be when you lose a job, or losing you know, a top spot, a, a top ranking, number one salesperson, or number one best friend in someone's life, whatever it is, or you've lost a relationship and you know what that feels like, or I mean, who loves, who loves losing an argument here? Anyone say, I love that. I love being on the losing side of an argument. If so, I would like to become a better friend of yours, I think. Um, I could use more of that in my life. I mean, none of us really like losing, do we? Um, and, and then this idea of especially deliberately choosing to lose, that we would do that, that we might gain something, that just seems so crazy, it seems so far-fetched, that it, it just doesn't, it seems like nonsense. Uh, why would you ever choose to lose, and what could you possibly gain by losing? And yet this is the teaching of Jesus that we're going to dive into today that I believe is so important. So we're going to look Luke chapter 12. It says, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? So it starts off with these two brothers who are fighting. So parents, if 
you wonder what you're doing wrong, this is just what they do. From the beginning of time, 2,000 years ago, siblings fighting with each other, it may not have anything to do with you. It's just what siblings do. These two brothers are fighting, and uh, they're fighting over an inheritance, which is an irony, of course, because usually when an inheritance is left, it's intended to be a blessing to your descendants. But how often does an inheritance become a, a source of fighting or jealousy or um, just legal action, and it, it can really become a, not a blessing, but a curse to people. And so uh, since mom and dad aren't around anymore, there's an inheritance at stake. They can't say, dad, make him share with me. They go and find Jesus, and they say, Jesus, you know, get my brother to share with me. Because uh, rabbis in those days, they were often charged with rendering a, a legal decision or a judgment. They were looked to not just for religious teaching, but just for, for wisdom about life. Not only that, but if you're looking for someone who's really good at judgment, look no further than a religious leader, right? Religious leaders, we tend to be really good at judgment, don't we? Um, And so they go to Jesus and and they say, Jesus, give me this judgment. You know, there's this feud in the family, but instead of giving a judgment, instead of a verdict, Jesus uses this as an opportunity to teach on a much greater issue. So whether or not you're in conflict with a sibling or someone in your life, whether or not there is an inheritance on the line today, Jesus is gonna teach us something that uh, is, is so true to life, that is so to the heart of how we live and how we think, and that gets in the way of us having abundance. Here's what he says. Jesus said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now, now today we're kind of talking about greed. This is the introduction to this topic. Notice we're not talking about ambition. Ambition isn't a bad thing. Unless it's selfish ambition, then the Bible says that's a bad thing. Um, we're not talking about just having wealth or being rich or possessing things. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It can be, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. We're talking about greed, and this is the warning Jesus starts with. It's a warning about greed, the, the endless desire for more, to acquire more. And he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. That means there's lots of varieties. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he goes on and he tells this story. It says, he told him this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. My barns are already full with, with crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then Jesus turns to him and he says, Now this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now, before we dive in, I just, want you to, I just want you to pause and to think about the features of the story that Jesus tells. And not just the features of the story that Jesus tells, but the context in which he tells it. Remember, there are these brothers, and they're fighting over, over money. They're fighting over an inheritance. And one of them goes to Jesus, trying to get him to strong-arm the other brother, make him share with me. And Jesus tells this story about a man who's already rich, who comes into a, a windfall um, you know, kind of situation. He, he suddenly ends up way better off. He gets this windfall harvest and, and he doesn't have any place to put it because he's already rich. His, his storehouses are already full and so he decides to tear down his barns and build bigger ones. And the moment all of that is gathered in and his new barns are full, he dies. God demands his life from him. 
and he never gets to enjoy all that has been stored up. And then Jesus looks at the people gathered that day, including those brothers fighting, and he gives them a strong warning about storing up things for yourself, but not being rich toward God. Now, as you hear that, I want you to reflect for a minute. What, what confuses you about this story? About the situation and then the story Jesus tells? What, what questions do you have or what makes you curious? Or maybe more important, what pokes at you? What makes you feel kind of defensive or maybe angry or even afraid? What motivates you? What does, this, what does this story make you want to do? How does it make you want to live differently? Because Jesus said another time that it's not good enough. The point is not just to hear the word and believe the word and know the word. The goal is to hear the word and put it into practice. That's a wise man who builds his house on, on rock. And so what does this word make you want to do? Does it motivate you to, to think or live or act differently? See, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, although we're all different and, we, and we're in different places and we think differently and we believe uh, differently in, in, in different ways, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to guess that there's some confusion or questions about this, this parable. It, it hits pretty close to home. And I bet there's a fair amount of defending and explaining going on right now. But here's what I want to remind you of before we unravel the meaning of Jesus' words in this parable, that this parable first is not meant to be a few things. It's, it's not meant to be a warning about God's judgment on the greedy. It's not a warning saying, hey, if you're greedy, watch out, tonight you're going to die. That's, that's not the bottom line of this. And, and it's not even meant to be a moral instruction about what it looks like to be a good person as opposed to a bad person or a righteous person versus an unrighteous person. I, th- I think there are some moral lessons there, but that's not the ultimate point. Instead, do you know what this is intended to be? Do you know why Jesus told the story? It's intended to be a guide on what makes for a good life. This is a life Warning, And you can see it in Jesus' opening to the parable. Look what he says to these brothers. He says, watch out. You know, watch out. Be on your guard. Look out. There's a trap headed for you, and be careful about that. I'm warning you about something dangerous that's up in the road ahead if you keep walking this way. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For, because, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. See, Jesus is so practical here. He's so pragmatic here. This is a life warning for them and for all of us. See, why is anyone ever greedy? Why why are we tempted to want more than we need? Why are we tempted to store up more when we already have plenty? What, what What is that all about? I don't necessarily think it's because we're horrible people or we don't love God or we don't love other people. I think instead it's because there's a deep-seated belief buried in our minds that when we have a life full of things, then we'll have a full life. Right? I mean, just sit on that for a second. When we have a life full of things, then we'll have a full life. Whether you've ever said those words, I, I know that that belief has entered your mind before and it's driven a lot of your decisions. It has for me. When I have a life full of things, then I'll have a full life. Isn't that the reason that we buy more house than we need and we fill it with more stuff than we need and we've got more electronics than we need and 
Isn't that why we, we dream of having a lot of money in the bank when we retire and leaving some for our heirs or the people who come after us? Because we think, hey, when, when I have a full life, a life full of things rather, then I'll, have, then I'll have a full life. And Jesus doesn't necessarily say that this is immoral. I think there could be some immoral parts of it. And, and he doesn't say that God hates people who believes this. He just says that this is a trap. This isn't true. This is a dangerous way to live. It doesn't work out the way we expect. L- look at what the man says to himself in the parable. Um, when, when he's got all of his barns full and, and he's got now a life full of things, look at his rationale. The, the man, after all the harvest is in these bigger barns, he says, okay, you've got plenty of grain laid up for many years. Now you can take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. What's he saying? He's saying, now that I've got a life full of things, I can have a full life. And it's at the core of what this man believes in the story. It's, it's at the core of what we believe about our lives. But it's not true, is it? He thinks I've got a life full of things. Now I'm going to have a full life. And God says, no, actually, your days have been numbered. And today is the last day. And he never gets to enjoy what he stored up for himself. By the way, um, it doesn't say here, Jesus doesn't say that when the man's life is, is you know, recalled and, and God says, hey, it's... Your day is up. It doesn't say that the man was sent to hell for his greed. That's not the moral of this story. Again, be, you know, be greedy and you'll go to hell. See, if you open yourself up to the love of Jesus, I mean, this is all that's required for heaven or hell. Let's just, let's just clarify this. If you open up your life to the love of Jesus, if you let him set his affection on you, and that's all he longs to do is to love you. That's why he came into this world. That's why he came to teach to help us find our way. That's why he gave his life on a cross. He did it because he wants to set his affection on us because you want to talk about a full life? That's where a full life begins. And when Jesus has set his affection on, on you, when you've opened up your life to the love of Jesus, he will make sure that you end up, that you end up wherever he is in eternity. Whether you're greedy or not, generous or not, there will be all kinds of people at the banquet in the kingdom of heaven because Jesus paid our admission fee. He paid our debts. He paid the price with his life. He shed his blood so that we can be with him forever. This, this is clearly not a teaching saying, if you're greedy, God will demand your life and send you to hell. But if you're generous, then you get to win your way to heaven. Jesus already took care of that for us. See, the real moral of this story is that wealth and possessions can hardly ever do what they promise to do. Because this man who carefully planned and built and stored up, he, he in, in essence hoarded more than he needed. The tragedy of this story is that he never got to enjoy everything he had laid up for himself. See, see this, this idea that is so central to our thinking, that's, it's how our world works, it's how our economy is driven sometimes. When we have a life full of things, then we'll have a full life. Jesus is exposing this for what it is. It's a lie. It's a trap. Watch out, Jesus says. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Because if you believe this, like the man in the story, it could happen for you that you die before you ever get to enjoy it. And we all know people like that. They work so hard, they scrimp and save because someday they're going to enjoy. And right before retirement, right after retirement, something happens, they're gone, and, and they never got to enjoy life. We know the tragedy of that story. We've experienced that. We know people. 
Or uh, sometimes you lay up a life full of things and you think, finally, I'm going to have a full life and, and someone steals from you, a Bernie Madoff comes along or the market corrects like it did in 2009 and it takes away your wealth and suddenly it's gone, it's stolen, it's no longer there. Or you know what else happens when you live life this way, when you think this is true? You, you get a life full of things and what you discover is that when your life is full of things, far from living a full life, far from being abundant, you start to feel suffocated by those things. Proverbs talks about that. It says, the rest of a laborer is sweet, but the abundance of a rich man's possessions permit him no rest. Uh, The other day, Joss and I were at Costco. Anyone love Costco? I love Costco. I love that place. I told her it's a good thing that she does most of the shopping because I would just spend too much money at Costco. Um, But you talk about a place where you can be suffocated by an abundance of possessions. Wow, it's Costco. And we were walking into Costco and uh, right by the front door, parked in the very first spot, one of the handicapped spots there, there was a a small car, a four-door car. And we walked by and it was packed in. Josh, you remember this? Yeah, it was packed in with all kinds of stuff. Yeah, no, she remembers. See, I'm not lying. Um, it was packed in with all kinds of stuff. Like someone who clearly had some mental illness and was struggling with a hoarding problem. And, and so there's, you know, there's, there's like paper towel packed in there and newspapers and food items. And, and there's only enough room in the driver's seat for someone to, someone to fit in to the car. And it, 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 the person clearly wasn't living in their car. This was just a person who loved to be surrounded by stuff. And, and, and it just blew my mind to see that car like that. And then I realized this person was actually inside Costco shopping right now. And I'm thinking, I don't even know how you find something small enough in Costco to fit in that car because there was no room. There was no room there. And, and I saw that and I said, man, that's, that's crazy. That's absurd. And, and then it dawned on me that it's sad and clearly some stuff has happened to that, that person to help them live life in such a way. But, but it dawned on me that there was a moment in his or her life where they actually believed that they were doing something really smart by making sure there was always enough surrounding them. And, and then that just got out of hand and it grew a little bit more and pretty soon having a life full of things meant literally being suffocated. See, holding on to stuff, stockpiling, this is Jesus' message, holding on to stuff, stockpiling, trying to get a life full of things, that is not the way to find a full life. And you know what, this is true in everything in life, every part of life, not just our money and our possessions. This is, this is a principle you can apply to your relationships, to parenting, to how you view time, how you view power. Some of you experience this the hard way. The, the, the tighter you hold on to a girlfriend or your wife, the more you make her into your prisoner instead of your lover. And you never get the love that you're longing for. Or those of you who are parents, specifically moms, you know that when you go from being a mother to being a smother, you know, where you just want to keep your babies with you and you want to keep them safe and you want to keep them small and you never want them to leave because they make you feel so good, you know that they will grow into adults who the only thing in their mind is, is going to be, how do I escape you? And you'll never experience the joy of seeing your kids grow into fully functioning human beings, launching them, still being there to support them from afar, but, but watching them thrive on their own. Or when your time is always viewed with scarcity and, and, and you're just, you know, you're, you're so worried about giving your time away because we all have the same amount of time, but some of us are very generous with our time, some of us are not. Then, then if, you're, if you view your time with scarcity, then not only will you, you know, still just have the same amount of time that the rest of us do, but even the time you have will be soured by stress and anxiety and resentment. 
Anyone know that? I live that. See, hoarding, stockpiling, it strangles. Contrary to giving us a full life, it strangles the joy out of anything good. See, what Jesus is talking about, and he says it at the end there, is he's showing us a way out of this trap of thinking that a life full of things will mean a full life. And he says it in those words that this is how it will be for anyone who stores up for themselves but is not rich toward God. Let's talk about generosity. See, I think generosity is one of the most controversial um, uh, ideas out there. It's so, it's so oxymoronic. It doesn't jive with conventional wisdom. And yet generosity, it happens to be one of the most satisfying things you can do with your wealth. I've shared with you uh, this guy's name before, Dr. Michael Norton. It's been a few years. He's got a TED Talk out there, but you're not going to have to watch it because I'm going to tell you about it. Um, he's, a, uh, he's a PhD um, researcher. I think his PhD was from Princeton, and he spent time at Harvard and MIT and all kinds of impressive places. And he and his research crews, they went out to a college campus, a major college campus, and they stopped college students, and they said, do you want to participate in research? And those who said yes, they asked them a question, and they said, how, how happy are you? Scale of 1 to 10. And the college students rated themselves, and the researcher wrote it down. And then they gave the college students an envelope, and they said, in this envelope is a sum of money somewhere between $5 and $20. And, uh, and then the students were given different instructions, depending on the students. Some were told, I want you to go and spend this money on yourself today, whatever you want. And some were told, you can do whatever you want with this money, but you can't spend it on yourself. You have to use it for the benefit of someone else. And then they sent the college students off. Well, they called them back later in the day and they asked them if they did what they were supposed to do. They asked them to report on their assignment. And then they asked them a final question. They said, now, uh, tell us how happy are you now at the end of the day? And guess what the research said? Won't be surprised. Said that those who took that money, whether it's five bucks, 20 bucks, 20 bucks for a college student. I remember that being a lot of money. Um, Those who spent the money on themselves, at the end of the day, they were no happier. They weren't sadder, but they weren't any happier. But what they discovered is that those who took that money and did something for someone else, it didn't even matter what they did. They could have given away to a a panhandler. They could have bought a friend a coffee. They could have uh, done something kind for a professor. It didn't matter what they did with it. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, those who used that gift that they received for the good of others, guess what happened to their happiness? It went up. See, Jesus' teaching today, again, it's not a a teaching on morality. I I think there's moral truth there. It's much more practical. It's a teaching for us about how we might, people who are longing to find a full life, and there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus encourages that. That's what this church exists for, not just to get you to heaven, but to help you have a full life. Jesus says that, that if we're longing for a full life, that, that we got to be careful of this trap called greed, called greed, that there is another way. See, we know that abundance in part is a mindset because we all know people who have storehouses full of stuff and they still don't feel secure, they don't feel happy, they don't feel grateful, they still look at life with a scarcity mindset and we have all known people you go into their pantry and there are two potatoes sitting there and nothing else and they look at that and they say, look, there's two. There's one for me, one for you. There's enough to share. How blessed am I? See, we know that that those who live with a keeping and gaining mindset, they will never have enough. 
Because that's when your mindset, if that's your mindset, then, then that's all you can see. You can see what you lack. But those who, who believe in a God who's generous, who believe that there's something great in sharing, they will always have more than they need. See, if you can learn to let go, Jesus says, instead of holding on, if you can share, if you cannot just be rich to yourself, but if you can be rich to God and others, then you'll find the fullness you're actually looking for. Uh, we can call it the flow, living in the flow. See, you and I, we were designed to live in the flow. We were not designed to receive things and hold on to them, hold them tight, you know, pack our cars or houses or bank accounts full. That, that's not how we were designed to live. We were designed instead to, to live according to this flow, this, this free give and take and receiving and, and generously pouring into other people, other things. That's how we were designed to live. And, and you know what? If we choose not to live this way, this is the bottom line of Jesus' teaching. If we choose to, to live damned up, let things flow in and then we keep them there, then eventually what happens to us? We stagnate. Come on, you've been down to the Lake of the Ozarks, local people, in July when there hasn't been much rain? It's pretty, but you don't want to swim in the water, right? Because it, because it starts to stagnate. You need it to, you need it to flow. And when things flow, when, when we allow ourselves to live in the flow of give and take, that's when we stay healthy, that's when we stay vital, that's when we stay grateful, that's, that's when we begin to experience fullness, it's the same reason that, that for some very uneconomic reason, gift giving within households is such a blessing, right? If, if you've got a spouse and you share money, you know that when you give your spouse a gift or, or she gives you a gift, that nothing is being added to your household economy, right? Nothing new came in there. It's not, it's not additional wealth. Actually, probably, you know, not, now you're going to have to pay less on your credit card bill or something because they bought you a gift. And yet, and yet something is added, even though there's not new resources added, there's still something that's added into the relationship when we give gifts to each other or when you give your kid $5 to go to the Christmas story and they buy you a gift. That was your money and you probably could have spent it better than they did. Let's be honest, those Christmas stores are a ripoff, aren't they? But something's still added to the relationship, right? Why? Because, because you're living in the flow, you're giving and you're receiving and you're blessing others and you're allowing them to be a blessing to you. See, this is about this, this whole hidden, improbable truth that, um, that generosity is the way to get fuller. It's never in holding on. And, and I'll tell you that um, although we may think that, that if we're generous, we're going to be less well-off, because that's the fear, right? If I'm generous, I'll be less well-off, or I can only be generous up to this point, because if I cross this line, then it's going to hurt me, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to suffer somehow. I'll be less full of life. It seems inevitable, but the opposite is actually true. And that's in part because God loves to repay the generous. You can write that down. God loves to repay the generous. I know some of you right now are like, oh, but you took away the spot on the communication thing where I wrote notes. But you can type it in your phone. You can write it down somewhere else. Write it down in a journal. Bring a journal with you. God loves to repay the generous. That's so biblical and true. Um, Jocelyn and I, we, we're givers. It's one of the highest values that we have. Um, it's, it's, we give more than we pay in principal and interest on our mortgage. That's just something that we value. And we know that the numbers, if it's a value, need to line up. They need to show that it's something that we really value. But you know what? It was not always this way for us. I was a pastor for several years, and my thoughts about generosity were entirely different 
Because the way I felt about it is I'm already in a career where I'm making less money. My whole life is about giving to people. I'm just giving, giving, giving to people all day long. And so when I get my paycheck, that's for me. And then we started to uh, just notice people in life that we admired. And I hope you do this. I hope you study people in your life. Steve Howard taught me a lot about this. You start studying people that I admired and, and looking at people a little bit older than me who had joy in their life and they had healthy relationships and they were people who I'm like, man, I, when I get to that point in life, I want to be like them. And you know what I noticed? Every person, every person without exception that I admired, that I, that I thought I would like to live a life like yours when I get to the place in life you are, every person I admired embraced generosity There was not a person I looked at and admired and said, I would like to be like you who was not a generous person. And that began to shake me. And uh, and now, here's what we found, that we've made a decision to be generous and it was scary at first, but here's what we found. We found that God loves to repay the generous. And so there are some years at the end of the year, you're doing your taxes and you're figuring it all out and you're like, whoa. And, And then we've paused and we've remembered and looked at all of the things that God has done for us, even financially, and you know what? There's not been a year of our marriage since we've been givers that we've been able to outgive God. Because God loves to repay the generous. And, it, and it's not always a financial thing, because sometimes it does not work out in our favor financially. But when you think about the bigger picture, we see about all the other non monetary things that God has brought into our lives that are so much more valuable than money and things. And we're reminded again and again that there's a great blessing of, of living into the flow. See, living into the flow is life-giving. It's how you were designed. And, and if you reject this, this is Jesus' teaching, I think. Whether your life is demanded for you or not, here's what happens. You know what this is a picture of? Someone knows. What is it? It's the Dead Sea in the, uh, in the Holy Land. And you can see, although it's really beautiful, there's not a lot of life here. What's ironic, though, is that what flows into the Dead Sea, way up in the north, is the Sea of Galilee or um, Lake Gennesaret or Lake Tiberias. It's got a bunch of different names over time, but, but it's, it's a great fishing lake. I mean, that's where Jesus' disciples were all fishermen. That's where they made their living, in the lake in the north. And then there's Jordan River that flows down from that lake into the Dead Sea, but there's no outflow in the Dead Sea. And so it stagnates. There's no life there. See, see, here's the truth. If you choose to live outside of the flow, if if you choose to store up for yourself things because you think that when you have a life full of things, then you'll have a full life, this is your reality. You will stagnate. And even if God permits you to go on living into a ripe old age, you will never find the abundance that you're looking for. In fact, you'll never be able to enjoy the things that you have. But I'm telling you, if we can learn this generosity thing, and I know living in the flow can be scary because it, there's, there's just that question in our minds of, if, if I really let this go, will God really bring it back into my life? Will I not end up empty? How do I make sure that I don't end up being in need? And I can tell you that you won't because God loves to repay the generous. And he's a God who has given us everything that we needed. The scriptures say that if he gave us his son, will he not also with him give us all things? everything that we need. But here's what I can tell you. If, if you can make a decision today, and it's a decision that I have to remake almost daily, if you can make a decision today that although the world says losing is dumb and you should never deliberately choose to lose, 
If you can make a decision today to begin to choose to lose, choose to let go of things that matter to you of value, to spread it around, to give it freely to others, then your story looks entirely different than the man in this parable. Uh, remember this, this question that God asks the man as he's demanding his life for him? This is the, you know, the great tragedy of the story. Not only does he die, but here's the tragedy. God says, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Who gets to enjoy that stuff? Who gets that stuff that you stored away for yourself? That's the tragedy of the story. See, if you're willing to step into the flow, this, this, this life of generosity with a generous God who's pouring into you and, and you get to pour into others and they pour back into you, then, then you don't ever have to fear being asked this question because you get to decide every day that you live who gets what you've prepared for yourself. You get to give it away and you get to watch God return to you far more than you could ever ask or imagine. And instead of looking for fullness through a life full of things, you discover a life that's truly full. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you have just modeled this so well for us. That there is nothing that is yours that you have not been willing to share with us. First, you created this world in all of its beauty and then you put it into our hands and you said, manage it, enjoy it. And that's still the case. Whether we're doing a good job or a bad job, you've shared it with us. And Father, far far deeper than that, even, even the intimacy that you share within your own triune being, you've shared with us. You've sent your son into our world to take on our flesh gave him to give his life so that we might have life. You've invited us to experience the intimacy of your own triune being to be joined with you and enjoy now, enjoy forever. Father, there is nothing that you withhold from us. Father, today just help us remember that. That as you pour yourself out, you never end up empty. Give us the courage to do the same. To have the courage to choose to lose, to give, to surrender, to be generous, so that in the end we might be made full. We pray it in Jesus. Amen.